Welcome to Consultancy Insights with me, Michael Forsdyke. And me, Ed Purnell. On this episode of Consultancy Insights, we're going to be looking at the art of negotiation. Don't forget to subscribe in order to access lots of exclusive content, all of our library of previous episodes, and you'll get notifications of new episodes. So Mike, to get us started, let me give you a scenario. You've found a client, you've gone into the meeting, everything's gone really well, they seem to be bought into the service that you're going to provide to them as a consultant, you tell them the price and they want to negotiate, they want to half the fee that um, you've put forwards. What are your thoughts, what are you doing in that scenario? It's a tricky one, um, there's, there's, there's a lot of different ways that that, that can kind of play out. Um, on the one hand, you know, I, I know what my time is worth. I know the value that I can deliver and therefore, you know, the, the price that I've quoted I feel is, is justified for, for what I know that I can do. Um, so, you know, the, the person I'm speaking to either doesn't understand the value, in which case do I need to explain more about what it is that I actually do or explain in a, uh, a more effective way or, you know, explain more towards their needs um, or do I need to look at the long-term options in terms of, well, you know, if I negotiate here, is there an opportunity for more work further down the line? Um, you know, what are the individual uh, challenges and situations that potentially could be influencing uh, the, the, that decision with that particular person at that particular moment in time? So it's, it's not a simple answer and it's unlikely to have a, 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 a you know, perfect <laughs> silver bullet solution. Um, but, you know, from your perspective, what kind of, you know, strategies can consultants use in order to overcome those types of situations? Well, I think it's all about preparation. So before entering into that, that meeting, have a clear idea of actually what you want to get out of that meeting. And that's going to involve some research to understand what's likely to be the challenges for the client and how you're going to be able to help them. So you might have already done a pre-qualification call or something like this, which mm-hmm. will which will help, of course. But it's also important to understand from your side of things, what, what are you willing to give away to win the business? Is this an, a client that is going to be you know, so massive that it's, it's going to revolutionize your business? Yeah. Or is it a, a, a smaller client that's maybe a one-off and perhaps mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not some, somebody you're going to want to work with long-term? And yeah, maybe that brings about a different strategy in your mind. So my my suggestions would be to go in there with this imaginary toolkit where these are negotiation points that you can use to leverage the agreement so when the client says um i'd like five percent off that price okay what are you gonna say to them that you want from them you know you can argue and butt heads over the price all day long but it doesn't get you a step closer to an agreement so things that you can have in your toolkit are maybe payment terms you know perhaps the client has um cash flow issues which Mm -hmm. you may be aware of if you've questioned them and and found that out okay well let me give you best payment terms and therefore um you know let's keep it at the same price it was or it could be actually you've got cash flow problems and okay if you want five percent off you've got to pay me today or you know seven days or something Mm -hmm. like this rather than 30. Um, other things could be ask for a retainer okay so if it's a, a long-term client and this is what I mean about that personalization piece is okay if it's a client you really want to work with mm. you're probably going to be willing to drop your price to get long-term 
business from them because you know that'd be a nice steady cash flow for yeah. your for your organization um other things could be exclusivity in certain scenarios um but uh, one that i think is really powerful is uh, referrals you know um okay perfect i can do that but what i would want in exchange is you to refer me to mm-hmm. three of your contacts who perhaps could could help me or two other people within your organization yeah. who you think could potentially utilize the services that I provide that's great because getting referrals is one of the the most successful routes that a business to to develop business basically Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason that works is because it's a third party you know recommending your business it sings things volumes when you see that so there's lots of different avenues and it depends on the the industry that you're in and the sector that you're in and the service you can provide but taking in a a a, a mental toolkit that allows you to to give and take a little bit can can really help you to to be prepared for that negotiation um the other thing to to think about is how you're going to question that client before you even um get into that point where you're negotiating if you don't really know what their cash flow prob- you know, situation mm-hmm. is like, um, offering them those payment terms, it might just mean nothing to them. So really question them and their business um, as much as you can to find out where there's maybe opportunities for leverage. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're talking to just a department head, rather than only talking to him about his department, okay, he- what, what does the rest of the business look like? What's the, the, the five-year projections for the organization? What's the last year been like for them? Mm-hmm. Uh, once you know all of those Im- that, that information, once you've asked them all of those questions and you've got that clear picture, you at least then know where you're, what you're up against and what your yeah. options are. And um, it's the same for yourself. Like I said, make sure you've thought about everything from your side and, and then um, hopefully you can start to find something that's agreeable to both parties. I think those are all great points. You've also given us a, a lot to think about there, um, Ed. I think another kind of crucial element that we've got to keep in mind is if you're, particularly if you're in a, in a you know, desperate to kind of get that position, it can be very easy to think, yep, I'll just, you know, drop my price and do it for whatever price they want because I'm just focused on, on, you know, signing this bit of business. But It's really tempting, actually, for, yeah. for your, especially when you perhaps haven't got clients and you're just starting out just to go, okay, get a client on board. But yeah, absolutely. What, what long term impact do you think that has? Well, I mean, that's I think that's where we were both kind of naturally heading to um, is that you've got that risk of potentially devaluing um, your proposition, uh, whether that's the specific service that you provide or perceptions of you as an individual. Um, you know, and you know, for for future activities, it might be that you've already kind of undermined your earning potential uh, by just instantly folding and and lowering your prices Um, or there may be some perceptions that well you know this person is operating on this level but there's other people around that are on this level that cost more but I'm going to get a better service even though that wasn't part of the issue to begin with it was just the the negotiation stage um, that's resulted in that so it's one of those things where it's it's a very fine line to walk um, but I think with you know all of those suggestions that you've provided there um, it should help people to kind of you know get a better idea of where to go And now let's head over to Arne's interview with Dan Oblinger, who is a hostage negotiator for the police in the US and a negotiation coach for businesses, helping them to create a culture of negotiation and listening. 
Yeah, let me introduce my uh, my colleague here. Alan is, uh, we jokingly say we're, we're metaphorical stepbrothers. So I'll introduce my metaphorical stepbrother. He is a business negotiation practitioner, and he's been coaching business owners, entrepreneurs, startups, all the way up to very large transnational firms for 14 years. He studied at the feet of Jim Camp, who's a bit of a legend, at least in negotiation circles. He, uh, he kept a pretty low profile in larger society, but amongst negotiators, people know who Jim Camp was. And then he also is a, a good friend and, and has a mentoring relationship with Gary Nesner, who has a bit of a larger profile in the United States. He's probably one of the most well, well-known uh, FBI negotiators. So Alan is uh, pretty well-rounded. He uh, is married, he's got six kids, he lives in Virginia. He was born in Hong Kong and he grew up in, in Ghana, in Africa. So he's a globetrotter and uh, he's my oh. negotiation coach. All right. Thanks, Dan. That was very generous. Uh, usually I <laughs> such a nice intro, but uh, so today I'll play nice with my stepbrother. This is one of the nice days. If you see any, if you hear any uh, uh, chainsaw in the background, it's because there's a company cutting trees here outside my house. I live in the in National Forest and um, it gets uh, it get too woodsy sometimes. So, uh, Dan is uh, is a good friend and a colleague of mine. He uh, he is the ultimate tactician. That does not mean he's good. He's not good at strategy. But ultimately, when it comes to tactics, he is my go-to guy. Uh, he helps a lot of companies, uh, engineering companies, with uh, uh, fee and scope uh, negotiation. Uh, he's been a police hostage negotiator for about, I think, 18 years now. I, I, I cannot be that patient, but he's, uh, he's, he's incredibly patient with, uh, with the people he worked with. So occasionally when I work with him at night, he's, uh, he's being caught off to chase down bad guys, right? So it's kind of fun, but then I don't know what I'm holding on to, like silence, or I'm like, hey, Dan, you still there? <laughs> Gone. <laughs> Dan is also- Gotta go. Gotta <laughs> Just like that, it's just gotta go. Uh, he's also a father of six uh, six kids, uh, married to Miley. They live in the plains in Kansas. Um, I joke about it. It's kind of like uh, that little girl that had to fly back to to Kansas, and uh, and they go on this uh, yellow brick road trip in chase of Oz, right? <laughs> <laughs> I am not Dorothy, Alan. Uh, no, 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 okay. not Dorothy. Yeah, definitely lots of kids in your extended I keep, I keep confusing Cinderella and Dorothy, right? Which one is wearing the glasses? <laughs> um, yeah, so Dan is my coach, and occasionally when I get stuck, the person I go to is Dan, and he's been trained by the FBI Crisis Negotiation Unit uh, uh, training course. And uh, recently, I think he's been actually giving those courses to police negotiators. So I'm, I'm very blessed to be able to, to work with him. Uh, together, we developed some programs to help uh, business professionals and entrepreneurs to negotiate better. Okay, well, th thank you very much, gentlemen. So we're really excited to have you. Obviously, then I have to start with that one, you know, because the, you, you've taken your career or basically doing it in parallel, hostess negotiator, and then, then like consultant for business negotiation. Mm -hmm. How do the two compare? Is there any like differences or is there, you know, where's the overlap maybe? No, there's huge differences. Maybe we should acknowledge that. Um, 
just because somebody excels in, in crisis and hostage negotiations doesn't mean they can guide you through a complex business negotiation. Uh, I'd like to think I can, but I've put a lot of time and effort into to jumping that gap, into making the translation. But the one thing that does remain the same is in police crisis and hostage negotiations, you're dealing with uncooperative humans who have their own agenda and their own fears and anxieties, and they don't trust you necessarily, but we need to make a strong agreement with them. And it's the same on the business side, particularly when you're a franchisee, you're making this translation as well. You probably are eminently successful in some other area of, of business, right? And you realize, hey, this is a wonderful opportunity here, but you, you're learning some new skills and some new culture and some new language mm -hmm. as you serve your clients. Same thing. Mm -hmm. So, but the dynamics are what stay the same. Yeah, yeah. You have to learn how to manage your emotions because you have stuff at risk in this business negotiation. And you have to learn how to conduct good discovery with your client, prospective client, supplier, whoever it is you're making this agreement with. Yeah, well, I guess one of the differences that I would like to explore with you um, is, is preparation for a negotiation, right? Because I guess in the business context, you know, or no, in a in hostage context or a police context, you don't have time to prep for it because you don't know what's going to happen. But uh, in a business context, that's obviously one of the key areas that I think we're we would like to explore with you, you know, how can you prepare for, for, for an important negotiation? So the way we prepare in hostage world is uh, two ways, really. Uh, one is a deep preparation of your habits because you're not going to be able to rely upon tactics in, a, in a, a crisis negotiation because under pressure, our tactics escape our brain, our knowledge flees, and you just really come back down to your, what your habits are in communication. Um, and there's, there's a very brief, hasty communication that happens because there is somebody we need to know about, but our access to information and the time in which we would have to prepare it and analyze it and vet it is very, very truncated. So we, we get pretty good at just like, this is probably why I'm great at tactics in the sense of getting into a conversation and just having the conversation because I don't have the luxury of having deep knowledge about the situation or the person. On the business side, generally speaking, we do. So this creates an opportunity. And also, I will tell you, based on experience, about 10 years of consulting with businesses, a big risk because we can overanalyze. We can get sucked in and we think we understand things perfectly when we don't. We can have bad information. Uh, also, the situation can be different for our counterparty. Mm -hmm. So we've prepared for one set of circumstances and then come to find out the whole reason they're engaging with us and maybe interested in, in doing business with us is that there is something underneath the surface that's not disclosed publicly that we're not aware of that has changed their, their game. Mm -hmm. So there's still a really good need in business negotiations to be great at discovery, meeting people where they're at and really finding out what's the problem, what's the pain, what's the vision here? Why do they want to engage in this agreement with us? I actually started my career in a, in a purchasing department with a large retail group. And I remember you have those very little, you know, windowless rooms that you put the supplier in, have them wait for half an hour, and then you, they don't get coffee. And, you know, then you walk in, <laughs> you're very aggressive. What, what do you think overall about, you know, power moves, kind of setting the scene all the way from firm handshake to actually, you know, kind of wearing people down, having them wait and stuff like that? Alan, this is... This is where That's my, I, uh, I love to have Alan talk here. You can do that and you can use uh, uh, all these manipulative uh, techniques and you can uh, wear them down and you can uh, uh, demean them. You can make them see, uh, come across as weak. You can use leverage on them. You can do all that. It's true. Companies do it. They do it to my clients all the time. So 
this is where uh, you have to just get in, into the other person's shoes for a second. If I did that to you, if I use leverage and I put you in that room and you're a supplier and you are forced to make a deal and you make a deal, what's the next move you're going to do? What's the next move you're going to make? Most people are going to go, really? You're going to put me in such a situation? I'm going to find the, the next move is how am I going to get out from underneath this kind of pressure again? Mm-hmm. And, and I have, I have to have uh, uh, clients negotiate against some of these big box companies like, uh, like uh, retail, like Walmart, Kmart, and Target. So a lot of these suppliers will uh, acquiesce or concede only to cut corners. Okay, you can pressure them. They will cut corners one year, two year, three year down the road. You know, the fabricated metal becomes thinner and thinner. The screws become uh, cheaper and cheaper and they're not screwed in properly. Next minute, everybody loses. Consumer hates the product. No one goes there and buy the stuff from these big box company. And now this supplier has gone out of business. They move on to the next supplier, right? So you're just uh, like a churn and burn. Find out which supplier you can, you can, you can take out. Yeah. And the good suppliers end up not working with them. Yeah. So, so yeah, fully agree with you. I think that's, that's what we've experienced over the years with many of our clients where we pick up some of those defunct you know, relationships that have really suffered from, you know, uh, you know, somebody thinking they, they know how to negotiate. Um, so what, what are the, some of the core elements, if, if, if you can name a few or if you have a, a philosophy around the, what is a good win-win negotiation? What are the key elements? What makes a, a good negotiator? A good negotiator looks towards the long term. What is their mission and purpose? What is the company really trying to accomplish in their, their own mission and, 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 uh, and purpose? And then how are we able to help them further that? So now we don't even look at the world in a win-win situation. It just means that right now, your mission and our mission do not align and therefore we shouldn't do business. Six months down the road, when our risk profile changes and our mission aligns, we will talk again. Or we could be doing business now and our risk profile changes and it makes it does not make sense for us to continue we will fade away or we'll have a gentle, respectful breakup only to come back later when they align. So it's, we don't even look at the world as a winning or losing, but at this particular time, am I able to help you move your mission and purpose forward? Mm-hmm. That's the only way we look at it. Okay. So many, many of our clients obviously uh, retain our services because they are in urgent need of free cash flow profitability. So they, they are under extreme pressure to actually achieve a certain financial target. Um, that that some, sometimes clashes with that long-term view. How, you know, how do you respond to that? And how do you coach your clients towards that? Well, if, you, if you've been in business long, long enough, you'll notice that a lot of times these uh, frantic, fast-moving decisions that uh, you don't look towards the future uh, I've seen mistakes from that. Uh, they, they can say, hey, uh, you've all heard of uh, uh, sales covers a myriad of sins. Let me bring in the cash and we'll see what happens. And I can tell you right off the bat, I have like three or four examples of big companies that have gone under because they had so much sales, but they had no profit because they gave up on, on, uh, uh, on that. Another one is they had profit, but they, they had people that compromised their values and said whatever it took to win the deal 
got the cash flow, and then they got lawsuits and everything start going downhill. So this is where tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. Sun Tzu said it, not me. We call him Sonny, but Sonny is pretty smart guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so if we look at cash flow and helping people like rescue them and come in and just put a bandaid on things and you don't have a long-term aim, then yes, you will win short-term and then long-term, you'll have a much bigger problem to deal with. Yeah, okay. More, more often than not, it doesn't mean that it will never be successful, situation is more often than not, not looking towards the long term can cause a lot more problem down the road. Mm -hmm. um, we have, um, you know, both on the, our client side, but also for our consultants, and we're talking about, you know, consultancy insights here, um, you know, many times clients just get really hung up on price, uh, right? So, you know, they want to talk price all the time. How do you, you kind of take that? Is there any good good tactics that you can maybe share or some tips around how do you move away from price? How can you reframe the conversation? I have a good one for this, but I'll pass it to my stepbrother first and then uh, I'll, I'll, he'll pass it back to me and we have, we have a good one for these. So first and foremost, price is an important part of the equation. And if you're a consultant, you cannot be afraid of having the price discussion. We're gonna frame it differently. We're gonna talk about value, not just cost. But what, what you don't want to do is develop a complex system of, of ways to avoid talking about the very thing you want to talk about because you're a professional and professionals get paid and you can't get paid until you agree upon a price. So we're not going to shy away from the conversation. In negotiation, you don't talk about something you're not prepared to talk about yet. And if people want to start out by talking about price, we have to do a good job of managing that expectation and the emotions that are wrapped around it by, by basically redirecting the conversation. Basically, that's important. We are gonna to get to that. I can't talk about price until I ensure I can actually, as a consultant, help you. Mm -hmm. Until I understand what the problems are in front of us. And therefore, the resources you and I are gonna to bring to bear to, to fix that and to bring about success. And then I know, I, then I can price that. So I think that's just it. Knowing when it's time to talk about price and then never being afraid to talk about it and delivering price with confidence. That's an important part of negotiation. Yeah. And, okay. and we talk about managing emotions. You'll never be able to do that with confidence until you manage your emotions and their emotions, the counterparties. Okay. And you yeah. got to make sure you've done good discovery about the problem. Cool. And that's one of the ways you really coach your clients to say, let's not get it sucked into that discussion about something you're not ready to talk about. Yeah. Regain the, the, the you know, the, the, your control over that dialogue. Yeah. And, and without signaling fear or neediness, mm -hmm. if a client rightfully asks you, how much will this cost me? What we don't want to see is, well, I, I, don't, I can't talk about that. I, I don't want to talk about that. Just say, that's really important. And we are going to get to that. Before we do, would it be okay if I asked a couple questions about the scope, the size of the solution we're going to need to bring here? Mm -hmm. And go back into discovery. But what we see oftentimes is it's almost like it's the boogeyman we're hiding from it. You should be excited if your client wants to talk about paying you. Some clients don't want to talk about paying you. <laughs> yeah, it's a strong buying signal, we usually think, yeah. Yes. Cool. Good. Okay. Well, my the way I look at it is it's never about price. People say price is the most important term. It's never about price. Listen to this carefully. Never. Because if I sell you a solution and it's $10, right? but it, it only gives you a $10 gain, you've wasted time 
energy and emotions on it. Mm-hmm. It's always about what you get. If I sell you a solution that's a million dollars, but gets you a hundred million dollars, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a no brainer. As a consultant, you're, if you're a consultant, if people see the value you deliver, what you're going to help them get, they have to see that. They have to see what do I get working with you. Then the cost is nothing. The investment is nothing to them. It, they have to go to the point where they go, I'll be a fool not to get this solution. It's never about price. It's always about what they get. So the only focus is what they get. Value, value, value. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, it's a little bit even more than value. It's the pain. I'll tell you why. People hire an attorney to, to remove an emotional pain. There's no value in it when they're going through a divorce. They're like, I'm going to spend all the money just to remove this emotional pain. So there's always time, energy, money, and emotions. Mm-hmm. And the value, very, it's, it's a very fluid along that, that, that it's, continuum. It's algorithmic. It's, all of those play a part. And depending on who the counterparty is and what the circumstances are, one, one of those four will be king. But the others okay. will sit I'll in court. I'll give you a quick example. Yeah. This, uh, this couple uh, going through a divorce and, um, and the guy goes, she cheated on me. I'm going to spend my very last, I, I will give her nothing. I'm going to fight to the end and make sure she gets nothing. Mm-hmm. Three months down the road, my buddy goes, and I'm not, I'm not consulting. I'm not trying. He talks to me over lunch. He's like, Alan, I can't handle it. I wake up in the morning. I think about it. I go to bed. I think about it. I'm just going to give her whatever she wants just to get her out of my life. Emotions. See, the yeah. value changed. The emotion became more important. So you, you, you coach people on, you know, on, on the tactics, on the, I guess, also on, on the general attitude or, you know, how do you enter into something, you know, and what are your emotions behind that? Um, when we work with, you know, people that are just starting their own consulting practice, they basically have a strong fear of sales and they have a lot of respect, you know, when it comes to negotiating with, with bigger clients or with, with suppliers. Do you think that anyone can learn this stuff or do you find that it's also down to personality to a certain extent? There are no barriers externally, I think, to becoming really good at negotiations. But there are definitely some internal barriers and it doesn't have to do with talent. It's not negotiation. I don't believe is a talent. Now, talent can help you speed up the acquisition of what you need to be successful, but it can also hold you back. Um, For instance, one of the only prerequisites we have, Alan and I, to work with a a professional or an executive who wants to be a great negotiator is they have to to be able to commit and decide. That's a really important, and it's often misunderstood, but really, you know, negotiations is about decisions. We make decisions. We're also trying to influence the decisions of others. But if you can't make decisions yourself, you'll be at an incredible disadvantage in a complex negotiation. Because you'll want to analyze and you want to analyze and you want to analyze and the opportunity will pass you by. Mm-hmm. And you'll, as you analyze, if I recognize that and I'm negotiating against you, I'm going to start feeding you lots of information and overwhelm you. And then eventually you might just decide what I want. I mean, if, I'm, if I have no scruples, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's where we say um, the biggest hindrance we've seen for people is, is not a lack of intellectual capacity. It's not even, a, by the way, it's not even a lack of um, temperament. It's not even a lack of, you don't have to be an, uh, an extrovert to be a great negotiator. In fact, we often find our introvert students 
manage emotions better and recognize the dynamics faster and they're better listeners generally they have to work in other areas as it, as it becomes a deeper negotiation right but yeah that's the biggest thing you got to be able to make decisions and we often see um, business owners fall into that trap where they don't want to make the decision because decisions seem risky and we try to show them sitting and analyzing during a negotiation that's risky too alan well, we need to we need to differentiate the two. A lot of consultants going into the the solo practice or working as a team, they have this fear. And I coach a lot of consultants. They they have this fear of selling their own service, representing themselves, and therefore they compromise. And there's a lot of this as mindset of how they value themselves, right? But let in order to back it up, this is what I say. Sales and negotiation is two different things. But sales is a subset of negotiation. Not all negotiation is sales, but all sales is a form of negotiation. If you negotiate well, you get to have a sales transaction. Sales is the exchange of product or services for money. That's that transaction. But going through the gatekeeper, going through the, the secretary, going through the board of the advisors or, or, or going through the IT director or engineering director or the, the financial, the CFO, or the legal department, all those activities are negotiation. You're building agreements along the way. They agree to work with you. And then at the end, you get to have a contract or proposal signed. Mm -hmm. If you do all those activities well, you get to have a transaction. Now, if consultants understand this one point, they're gonna do much better. Let me, let, what it is is, we all negotiate. We don't all sell. A two-year-old, a two-year-old would come to, I have six kids. A two-year-old comes to me and they say, dad, I want to stay up. I want to have candy. They're not selling me on anything, but we all as humans know how to negotiate. Every culture has negotiated. So negotiation is not this new product with a buzzword that we put on go, we have this. It is because we have found the best practices across cultures, what works in a human interaction to build agreements and we take those best practice strategically and tactically, put it in a nice program, that's what Dan and I do, to help people negotiate better. Mm -hmm. We don't teach people how to negotiate, yeah, we, we teach them how to do it better because we already do it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, we don't, maybe to answer your question really succinctly, I can't make somebody fearless. Mm -hmm. You know, traditionally through the, through the centuries, people that were fearless we're insane. <laughs> we teach people to manage their fears and work through them with good habits. And then also to recognize when our counterparty is afraid and to remove that from the agreement making process, because when agreements are built upon leverage, authority, and fear, they fall apart. Mm -hmm. So thank you. That's really insightful. I just want to explore that a little bit further because I think there's sometimes in negotiation, there's a point where you know, you think, do I just walk away from this? What's your, what's your like, attitude around this? Is there a point where you just get off, you know, stand up and say, okay, that's it. We don't, we, we're not going to get a deal and you just walk away or is that just giving up on the negotiation? Well, let me distinguish, I'm going to do the distinguishing and then I'll let Alan kind of wrap this up with a bow. So there's a distinguish, distinguishment we need to make between walk away as a tactic and concluding, making a principal decision as an entrepreneur, right? Or as a service provider in the case of, of your constituents. 
that this is not a client that we can serve, that our mission and purpose does not align with theirs. And therefore we, we can't really do business in good faith, right? Um, there's, that's a distinction. As a tactic, we don't teach walk away. Um, now, there are other systems that do. In fact, I can think of a really prominent continental Europe system that is really a big a key to, to their system is the threat of walking away. We don't prefer that. Uh, we, we respect that. We understand why it's a tactic. It's powerful. It creates powerful emotions in your counterparty. If that's your goal, then by all means, I suppose. But the, there's, a, there's two limitations. Uh, and the first, and this is the biggest one, is you don't learn anything when you walk away. If you say, we're going to walk away, and they say, fine, and you walk away, you, you don't really know. Um, there's better ways to approach that dynamic. We don't teach walk away. We invite people to walk away if that's what they need to do. But that's not the best way to decide if we should have a deal with this counterparty or not. We don't gather any new information by walking away. We just walked away. If we have to come back, what's the dynamic? If they call the bluff and we do walk away, but we know we need to come back, we need this deal, it's a very different dynamic in the negotiation. One that I would prefer not to have and would prefer my clients don't have. Alan, what am I missing? There's not much to add. It's just a, just a very dangerous tactic that we don't train or coach. We recognize people doing it. Um, and like Dan says, we invite them. So it'll be like, if this deal doesn't work for you, it, or it will be something like, uh, look, it seems like uh, we are at an impasse. Are you ready to walk away from this deal? I'm inviting them. If they say yes, that's fine. I'll just say, are you, so then we can talk about it a little bit and what specifically what they're walking away from. A lot of times people are not walking away from the whole deal. There's a certain aspect and we want to narrow it down. But if they say, no, I'm not ready to walk away, then you know that it was a bluff. Now people threaten to walk away and then they, it was a bad decision. And when they turn around and come back to us, who has to compromise? So because we don't coach compromise, we don't also coach threat the threat of walking away and it goes back to your first question which is the threats and leverage using that as a threat or leverage if someone has put you in the situation where you felt needy because they threat they threatened to walk away the next time they come to the negotiation table you are already guess what ready for another walk away right and we don't want that so but we're not idiots. <laughs> so we, we, do, we do train our students. What do you do when your counterparty says they're walking away? So there's a difference between a tactic that fits in a system and a habit that fits in a system. And then also recognizing, again, this is what we call negotiation dynamics, recognizing a tactic when it's used against you and knowing what is your best way to respond. Thank you to Dan Oblinger and Arndt there for that interview. Really interesting, really insightful, but let's dive straight in now to Arndt's top tips around the art of negotiation. Welcome back to Arndt's top tips. And today we're going to be talking about the art of negotiation. Now, my tip number one is, you know, believe it or not, you already have a negotiation style. So there is a a natural behavior that you display when you start getting into a negotiation, right? Um, and most of us are not necessarily aware of it when we are at the beginning of our careers. So, um, you know, the question is, are you somebody that is quite, you know, leaning towards harmony and relationships? 
And are you in danger of giving away too much? Or are you actually a personality type that's very dominant, that is, you know, likes to focus on the, on the matter of fact and tends to ignore the emotional signals that you're getting from the other side saying, hey, this is hurting our relationship. So really it's, you know, know yourself is, I guess, the starting point because if you know your natural tendency in such a negotiation situation, uh, you can actually start working on it. So that's number one. Number two, once you start actually working on your negotiation and, and, and make it an art for yourself, the advice is don't focus on tactics and tips and, and, and cheap tricks, I would say, but really go a, a level deeper and ask yourself, what are the values that are important to me? And what are the real outcomes that I want out of this? In other words, what are the guiding principles that I'm going to lay down in my head for this type of, for this particular conversation? So where, for example, do you draw the line in the sand where you can say with a lot of authenticity, hey, Mr. Client, you know, really, I've been giving this a lot of thought and this is kind of the price level or this is the kind of detail that I'm not prepared to give away. I'm not going to step away. I'm going to have to step away from the conversation if that's where you need to be. Uh, and so I'm hoping that we don't have to go there. Um, so don't make that a tactic. Actually be very, very authentic and be very clear on where you draw those lines so that the client sees, okay, well, that's a genuinely felt, um, you know, you know, thing on the other side that I need to respect. So I'm going to back off and actually give, give that, uh, give that consultant a bit of leeway. Um, so I think authenticity is everything also in negotiations, right? There may be some buyers and some procurement people that have been trained on, on this very classic, you know, tactical approach. Uh, it's good to, to maybe do some reading on this. And so do, to be prepared for some of those scenarios, because otherwise they, they do throw you off a bit. But ultimately, if you are very clear on what you're prepared to give and what is very, very important to you, I think that's the best preparation you can do. Because in the heat of the battle, uh, you know, all of those tactics will you will kind of you will forget about it anyway. Uh, so then it's good to actually have those really key elements, you know, on top of mind. And the last point I want to make, uh, number three, is really the most obvious and most common situation that you'll find yourself in when you're negotiating is, is when, it's, when it comes down to price and the, about the fees that you'll be charging your client. And that we talked about that in an earlier episode already. Uh, I think it's very, very important to not talk about the level of fees that you'll be charging and the total amounts, but actually talk with the client about how you will be invoicing them. What, what is going to be the basis for your invoicing? Offer alternative pricing solutions. So you may have a fixed uh, fee offer that you're making, but also have a success fee-based offer up your sleeve where you know, there are clients that value um, you know, cost control and having a clear budget uh, for the next 12 months when it comes to outside services. And other clients will only pay you higher fees if you can actually prove that those are directly linked to clients' success. So prepare alternative pricing solutions that may end up at the exact same level of fees that you'll be charging, uh, but give the client a choice and that will make it much easier to have that conversation. Excellent. Thanks, Arndt, for those top tips. Hopefully you got something out of that. And if you did, don't forget to hit the subscribe button to get access to exclusive content and updates on when the next episodes are out. This podcast was brought to you by Expense Reduction Analysts, a network of over 700 expert consultants delivering cost optimization solutions to clients in more than 40 countries. 
You can find out more about us and how you can join our team by visiting en.expensereduction.com. That's en.expensereduction.com, providing you with value through insight.